Hello and welcome to my office. I'm Carrie Lorenz. Thanks for joining me in conversations with fearless leaders from around the world to discuss the mechanics of high performance, success, and failure, and what it takes to achieve more than you ever thought possible. Through the conversation ahead, I hope to challenge, inform, and inspire you to move fearlessly to higher levels of performance and to go further faster. And that conversation starts right now. Stepping into my office is Hillary Knight, one of the most decorated players in the history of women's ice hockey. She truly is a hockey icon. Somewhere in her home, she's got an Olympic gold medal and two silver medals hanging around along with dozens of other awards and accolades she's received in her hockey career and over her life. Hillary, welcome to my office. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, one thing I think is probably important for you and for those who are joining us to know, and I don't want you to be intimidated by my background, but I'm going to share with you right out of the gate. I too am a champion. As you'll see, nice. here's my 1978 to 1980 Pee Wee C hockey tournament trophy. Yep. You can see by its massive size, I was quite a player and I had a history. Uh, of of success behind me, so you know here you can do you, you probably don't I have love one that. of these, do you? And that's that's back when they allowed checking at PV level too. That's yes, yeah. yes, it is absolutely. And you know what else they they allowed? Well, they didn't allow girls to play. I was actually the only uh, girl on an all boys team, and there was only one other girl in our whole in the state of Wisconsin. Actually, actually Sheila Rasmussen, who played hockey, and she was I think three or four years older than me. So yeah, they they allowed checking. There was a lot of uh, I don't know if there's a formal name for it, but you know when you put your stick through the little gap in your hockey yep. skates and just give it a good yank. I don't know. Is that just called yeah. tripping? I can't even remember. Yeah. Well, I think it would be under tripping, but there should be a name for that because that's kind of what you do to, you know, mess around and stuff with people. So yeah. And totally legal. Like you wouldn't even get in the penalty box. They're like, eh, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, so again, just, just want to let you know what you're dealing with today, yeah. but I'm super excited to talk to you. Tell me, um, tell me for a second, because again, I'm, I've done, I've followed your career for quite some time, but you did not grow up in the state of Wisconsin. You actually grew up on the West coast. So yeah. how do you go from being essentially a Cali girl to playing hockey? frozen tundra of the midwest <laughs> yeah um, yeah no so it actually just by chance um i come from a huge skiing family i mean my my cousin is a three-time olympic uh downhill skier and just it's like in our veins right california is great for that because there's tons of mountains and if not you're close by to a drive somewhere else so fortunately we moved to illinois and that's how i got introduced to sport because my mom was like okay you know you guys need to go play sports meet other kids in the community what do people do here and there aren't any mountains really <laughs> i think people in illinois will say oh yeah there are some but they're more like hills mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of how we got into hockey and um from there um you know i i sort of left the the warm weather of California behind and, and took on the freezing cold. <laughs> I know, and Illinois is not known for like massive amounts of snow either. So no. it's like yeah. icy and cold, but you're like, what? Like I have to suffer through this and there's no snow. Yeah. So you start playing hockey and yeah. were there girls teams? 
No, I mean, there's a couple of girls in the community who played. And then, um, you know, I was on a handful of teams, which were all boys growing up. And I, I should note, I have three younger brothers. So the oldest, I was like, I need to be good at this, right? So I think at the time, I didn't really understand that I was the only girl. I just wanted to show mm-hmm. up and be the best teammate. I understood that there was, you know, just inherently some differences when I had to start getting dressed in different locker rooms or go to the public restroom to put on my gear, which is just weird now looking back at it. But yeah, I mean, opportunities um, were very limited in terms of all girls teams. Unfortunately, now that's changed a lot. We're still changing it, but, um, you know, to, to lace your skates up in a lobby when the rest of your teammates are in a different locker room kind of makes it challenging for the team camaraderie. Yeah, it's a little isolating, no doubt. So did your parents have any, uh, were they super supportive during that time? Were they like, oh, I don't know, you're just going to have to figure it out. How did they, how did they navigate that even from, I mean, you were pretty young, but looking back on it or talking to your parents now, how did they navigate that? Yeah. So um, it's funny because my parents pointed out more so now than they did uh, when I was growing up because I think they just wanted me to have sort of a fresh look at everything and they didn't want to place their their viewpoints upon me. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a really strong role model, female figure in my life, my mother, um, who, you know, her mother told her that, you know, girls don't play hockey. And she's like, mom, you need to get with the times. If she wants to play hockey, she's going to play hockey. So I think that just illustrates, you know, who my mother is, right? So she's like, if my daughter wants to go do X, Y, and Z, and she's good enough to go do X, Y, and Z, that's what she's going to do. So um, I was really fortunate to have that support. And then I think just inherently being the oldest of, of the four of us, I was like, I want to I want to be the best. I need to be the, the, the role model, essentially. So I wasn't necessarily the best on the ice, but I grew faster than a lot of the boys. So it, it gave me a little competitive advantage when we got to check hockey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, are you like 5'11"? Yeah, I'm 5'11". And I actually, um, yeah, it's, I, obviously we, we, most of us grow a little bit quicker than the guys, but I was a defenseman and my job was essentially to light people up as they came down. The <laughs> my coach was like, you're going to hit these boys. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so. so right out of the gate, you are, uh, you're almost growing up in an enforcer role, but yeah. only not with the enforcer title. Yeah, no, it's crazy because um, I think people now look and I played with amazing teammates and that's how the puck finds its way to my stick, right? But, you know, I'm, I'm sort of known for my shot and the goal scoring prowess, right? And so to think back then, I couldn't even lift the puck. When people were lifting the puck and placing it around the net and shooting, I didn't know how to do any of that. And my parents didn't know how to teach me because they're not from a hockey mm. family. So it's right. just interesting. It, it was a lot of reps in the in the driveway and watching and you know playing video games trying to figure out how how it all works wow so kind of like super super detailed question but do you remember how old you were or do you remember roughly at the time when it happened when you finally when it clicked and you're like oh there it was there's the magic it just went airborne yeah no i to be honest um it was sort of by chance. It would just like flip over and sometimes it would go in. And then the other times it was just like a massive pig pile in front of the net, just swinging at pucks. Right. Just before high school, I was playing in a summer league and I consistently was able to put the puck where I wanted to. So I was about uh, maybe like 11 years old. I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is so cool. And then from there, I just got hooked about trying to be able to put the puck where I wanted it to go and dictate sort of where it was going to go. So at that point in time, then once probably your coaches start picking up on the fact that you could now like lift the puck and put it where it needed to be, 
is that when they started looking at, Ooh, Hey, maybe we should slide her up to the, uh, the offensive line. Yeah, no, I think whether well, it was that or a, a roster management thing, you know, mm-hmm. and when I made the transition over to girls hockey, I just, I was a forward and it was just so much fun and I had a lot more fun. And, um, I like to joke around that there's a lot less responsibility up there cause you can make a lot of mistakes and there are three people behind you who are going to have your back and <laughs> 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 a scolding afterwards. But yeah, it's just, I, I love scoring and I love being a part of that offensive rush. There's just something about it. So you go through, you're, you're obviously doing really well as you're, as you're maturing, you're getting a little bit older. But you're in you're in Illinois. You go to boarding school, correct, to play hockey. So you made a decision to go to boarding school to help get into a position where you your chances of playing hockey collegiately were better. Yes and no. Or, I think so. Okay. My parents are originally from the East Coast, so they did the whole boarding school mm-hmm. thing. I just kind of wanted mm-hmm. to follow in their footsteps. I, I knew I was you know good. I didn't know, but when I say that, I meant. I mean that I wanted to go to the Olympics, right? Like I knew I was good, but I didn't know if I was good enough to get there, but that's where I wanted to go. And so that was always top of mind when I was sort of navigating the next steps. And it's crazy to look back because I was actually looking at a couple of schools that the hockey programs weren't as strong and they weren't known for hockey. They were more known for sailing around the world and tagging sea turtles. And that interests me deeply, right? So I was like, oh my gosh, you know? So um, making that decision to have a, a the foundation of education that combined with hockey was, you know, a, a big one, but I was ready to make the jump and go forward. So was it pretty early on that you had to choose that single sport or were you a multi-sport player? No. So I, so I love skiing. So I continued to ski when I was playing hockey, when it came time to make a decision about, you know, do I go away to school? Where do I go to school? That was the crux of, okay, like I'm either going to go play hockey and pursue this path, or I can, you know, move to the mountains and, or maybe the East coast of the mountains and continue skiing. And it was just one of these things where I went uh, team sport route and I went out East and um, it's sort of the end of that. Right. (laughs) So that's a, but I think it's an interesting path because I'm sure, you know, now you've got a few more years under your belt. You can look back definitely and see, I think now, and I'm a, a mom of four kids that there's so much pressure on kids to single sport, to choose a lane really early. It is crazy. I get part of it. And the other part of it just makes me gnash my teeth because I think you see a much higher injury rate as well as, you know, you don't know those kids who are going to mature later on and, you know, look at where you even were shifting positions. Right. But so you start off on the West coast, you're over to the East coast. How on earth did you end up making it back to the fine state of Wisconsin? Yeah. Hockey. You know, through hockey, I was able to sort of have this list of schools I could go to. And recruiting at that time was different than it is now. And what you're talking about is so real. All this pressure on, um, you know, young teenagers. And the recruiting process has since bumped up to younger ages. Since So I had until my junior, senior year in high school to actually make these decisions. So I was really able to take my time. And there's a lot of pressure for me to stay on the East and go to one of these schools. And I was totally about that. My dad's like, you know what, you should go out and visit Wisconsin. I was like, okay, why not? Uh, went out there on my visit and it was just, everything clicked. I was like, this is home. And it, it, it sounds cheesy and, and corny, but I was like, this is exactly where I need to be. And I just knew it. And then it was, 
um, you know, me calling my parents and be like, I'm going to Wisconsin. And they're like, well, you know, hold on a second. Don't come to anything. Wait, think about it. I was like, no, I know this is where I need to be. And um, thankfully that that was the right decision. And I played with historic, you know, these iconic teams when I was there and got to learn from so many amazing people. And let alone, I mean, Magic Mark Johnson is the head coach, right? So you get mm-hmm. to learn. So between that, the school, the fans there, I mean, you know how it is, right? It's it's just the perfect combination of everything. It's crazy. I mean, it's, I think, you know, I'm, again, a, I've got a, a jump on you in years and for, during the time that I was there. So my dad actually played football at Wisconsin. I've got an older brother who, who went there as well and was a rower there as well, but. Oh, a rower. Uh, my yeah. two brothers went, um, they followed me to Wisconsin and they rode as well. Oh, no way. So yeah. I rode there too. Oh gosh. Now we're going to do old, old hometown real quick. What years did they row? One of them was 12 to 15 or 16. Okay. And oh, so under one. Chris Clark. Yeah. And then the other one was a couple of years after him. You know, you get on campus and they're six foot four, six, six. They're like, bring them in. Let's go. Oh. Oh yeah. And they still recruit. I know they still recruit old style too. I know when I got recruited, it was, so they didn't have, obviously they didn't have like online, you know, class registration and all that stuff. So y'all went to, I don't know, the ag hall or somewhere else. And they literally recruited you by skimming over and see who looked like they were like five, nine and above. And guys, I think have to be like six, two or six, three. And it's funny. My, um, my oldest daughter actually ended up rowing at Wisconsin too, just graduated a couple of years ago, but she helped recruit. And so she was, she's like six foot on the nose and she got along really well with the, the men's coach and stuff. And so she also would go and look for some of the men and she'd be like, Hey, so how tall are you? And the guys be like, yeah, I'm six, two. And she's like, nah, yeah, you know, yeah. she come back. She's like, yeah, no. He's like six, two in a bar. He's not six, two when it comes to rowing, but you know, a little bit different thing, but it's, you know, it is crazy. And it's funny to me because I look at Wisconsin, I've actually got one of my younger nieces has been to quite a few Badger hockey camps. She just turned 15. They live in Wanakee. She's just, she's a huge, she's a huge Hillary fan as well. I was waiting for some questions to come in. I'm like, oh, are my texts not working? Um, So she's super jealous, but uh, you know, it's funny part of it. And and I don't want to get ahead of our conversation here, but when I hear people say, oh, there aren't as many people who want to watch women's sports. I'm like, y'all need to watch Badger women's hockey because they sell it out every time. 15,000 crazy fans eating pretzels, waiting for the Zamboni to do its twirl on the rank. Like they are all in. So when when you're working your, your way through there, you show up at Wisconsin and you're already a bit of a superstar. Had you already, weren't you on the national team when you showed up at Wisconsin? I was. Um, so I, I yeah. knew a lot of the girls before actually entering or setting foot on campus, um, mm-hmm. which was great. And then um, the crazy thing was, is so I was on the national team for a full year when I was in high school. And then the first tournament I was eligible to, while at Wisconsin, go play for the U.S. team, I got cut. And I was just like absolutely devastated beside myself and just like, watching all my teammates leave to go play um, a four nations at the time. I took it super personally. And I was just like, I should, I should be on that roster. Like, what am I not doing right? What are the areas that I need to improve on to make sure that I'm never, ever left off a roster again. And so that was, I think it was a really good moment for me because it really sort of humbled me a bit. Not that I was, you know, 
crazy with an ego or anything, but it was a, it was a restarter of the fire to sort of reignite everything. Mm. Like, okay, you know, none of these minutes are ever guaranteed. And we know that signing up, but that was like a, okay, you know, all this pressure. And now I feel a little bit embarrassed and it was, it was good. It's one thing to know it signing up. And it's another thing to hear it or, you know, one of the things that I, I say oftentimes is, you know, hey, adversity will introduce you to yourself, yep. right? There are those people who've taken that that cement block to the face. There are those people who have setbacks. And it's, I think we get sucked into even now, you know, the motivational Instagram BS stuff of, oh, hey, just, you know, hang in there. Just, you know, yeah. it's the hard times that really get you through. But yeah, at the end of the day, it it is having that capability and i do think it's a skill set mm -hmm. that to become more resilient and to even be able to and like i look at you and this is i think that could have been such a remarkably devastating time for you because you were really young mm -hmm. still impressionable you had had such great success up to that point that was did the coaches sit you down did they take the time to say listen we know this is devastating. Here are the three things you need to work on. Or were they like, hey, just keep at it and kind of just let you defend for yourself and figure it out. How did you figure yeah. out your next step where you didn't get stuck in that last step, which would have been being cut? For for coaching wise, I think it was a sort of an acknowledgement, like, you know, kind of you, you should be on the team right but not really saying that because it's it's not necessarily their decision but just mm -hmm. going back to the day-to-day -day, right and not really calling too much attention to it because there's work that clearly needs to be done somebody thinks there's work that needs to be done and i didn't do a good enough job to make sure that they couldn't not put me on the roster right so um there's that and then there's the support of teammates and being like man like i wish you were here and there's those pieces, but then um, think it's just that internal drive that I was like, I'm supposed to be the real deal here, right? Like I'm supposed to do all these things. I've worked so hard to be in this position and I'm not living up to my own expectations. So it was very pivotal, I guess, for me to really, instead of be on my heels and granted, you know, I took some time to be upset about it, but I was like the next day, reset the clock, let's go, let's get this done. And uh, fast forward, um, for our winter camp, I was left off of the camp roster and I was an alternate. So I'm thinking, are you so, kidding me at this so point? So at Wisconsin or on the national team? No, on the national team. Yeah. So, oh, so you, you took two hits. Yeah, no, things were great at Wisconsin. I was learning, I was doing well. Uh, when I look back, you know, I, I could have focused a little bit more for the on ice stuff, but it was, it was, it was, it was the adjustment, right? <laughs> So, you know. so the story I'm telling myself right now is that you went out super hard your freshman year. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. You know, it's They're, all the lights and all this stuff. And, yeah. you know, you from the boarding school environment being your room doors open from 8 to 10 and your feet are on the ground and you're at your desk doing study hall to me like, you can do whatever you want. You can go to class. You can not go to class. You can stay up. You can not stay up You can go to college library and do silent library games for 24 hours because it's open the entire time. So um, I think, you know, it was a little bit of tailoring it back uh, my sophomore year, which is good. I love but that. It's that delicate balance. And that's what's tough is there's more pressure when yeah. you're younger. Right. And so you don't for get sure. to have that moment. So fortunately, I was able to have that moment, but I, I had it a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and, and Hey, I'm right there with you. I'm just going to leave it as a very steep learning curve yeah. 
my freshman year. <laughs> and it, it was a bit of a, a come to Jesus moment where, you know, you're like, well, wait a second, everybody, this is like the number one party school. It's the number one, you know, hockey program. I thought I could do all the things. And then I remember, I can't remember if it, yeah, you can't, you cannot <laughs> do all the things. And if you try to do all the things, chances are really high. The one thing that actually you really want to do, you're going to be average at best. Yes. And so, and I think this is where we, we oftentimes even delude ourselves. Like I, I even try to, you know, tell my kids, I'm like, Hey, it's when you're trying to do something really awesome, you're, you're going to have to come to a point where you're going to have to pick a lane. And there's a reason it's called, you know, work hard, play hard. It doesn't work if you invert that. Yes. The, the play hard, then work hard. Yeah. Like right. one of the one of them is going to yeah. have to tip the scales a little bit, right? Yeah, and too honestly, from that experience, um, you know, that's something that's helped me in the Olympic Games because there are mm -hmm. so many things. It's like being in a candy shop for the first time, and you can have all the sugar in the world, but you shouldn't, yeah. right? So yeah. it's really trying to pick and choose what you're setting your focus to, what you're setting your energy to. Unfortunately, I had an ability to go the next year or kind of tailor things back to adjust, but there's definitely some learn learning skills uh, that were taken away from the, that year, so. For sure, but. well, and as a quick personal note, I remember my freshman year, um, as I was sampling all of that uh, Madison had to offer, we had several fifth years that were training and who were all the women's rowing team was a powerhouse uh, there at the time, national champions. There were some that were training to try to make it to the uh, the 88 Olympics. And they were still, they were in their fifth year, they were still training at Wisconsin before they moved down to Boston, which is where all the national uh, team training was happening. And I remember one of the fifth years, Carol, C Carol Feeney walking up to me and just going, hey, you know, it takes you about two weeks to come back from a big night out, right? And I'm oh. like, okay, that's the craziest shit I've ever heard. I'm like, yeah. that can't be. Like, that's that not true. <laughs> that's not true. Maybe that was true for you, but that's not true for me. Like, I'm young. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, needless to say, Carol goes on to be an Olympian, right? And a medalist, national team member, all of that. And uh, that is some advice that I've as well had to pass on to more athletes uh, at many different colleges. And I will never forget her saying that to me where, because she had been through it, right? Mm -hmm. She did the sample everything as a freshman and realize uh, that's not gonna work. Right. Like if, so you're going on, you're, you've already taken a couple of concrete blocks to the face. So, and humility is a big part of that. How did you maintain a sense of confidence when everything's going okay at Wisconsin, but you probably felt like in some way, shape or form, the national team stuff was slipping through your fingers. How do you maintain the confidence to keep showing up every day in spite of that? Yeah, I think one um, is just, I love the game. I love mm. hockey. And so it was easy for me to stay out on the ice and do extra reps because that's where I wanted to be. You know, whether that was putting my homework to the side for hours on end to just be at the rink and sort of be a rink rat. Um, so that's, I just, I was able to, uh, focus my energy and just continue to appreciate the game for what it was. And I think I came to the realization that, you know, there are things that are out of my control and I'm going to do the best I can to make sure that when a scout comes or whomever's watching film, that there's, there's no chance, like they're going to take me and that's how good I am. Mm -hmm. So I was on this journey that was almost separate now from the national team to be like, Hey, 
whenever this opportunity does come, I'm, I'm still, I'm still marching up. Um, and just be so good that they can't ignore you was kind of my, my mantra, um, at the time and to be left off the, the massive camp roster. And that's where they take, you know, 60 or 80 women in the country. I'm like, how am I not one of those women, right? Here's my Wisconsin career. And it's like, okay, there's some things that are out of your control. And someone ended up getting injured and I ended up having an opportunity to go in. Um, but I was like, you know what, like take the opportunity as it comes, but know that you're, you're great. And you just, they're either going to take you or they're not. Um, and then sure enough, I was, I was on the next roster. So so in that whole time you, you kind of are are telling yourself, because again, this goes back to when, when you look at what you've been able to accomplish, when you look across different sports, different spectrums, I, um, I don't know if you followed JJ Watt's career at all. You know, JJ Watt did not get asked to come to Wisconsin. They wouldn't even let him walk on at first. Right. Mm -hmm. So he even, he went to a different school tried to walk on at Wisconsin, was met with milk warm response to that. And, you know, he kept showing up. He kept doing the work. He kept studying. He kept, you know, turning that focus inward about, you know, what do I have to do while still being a good teammate? And I think that's a really unique attribute. You know, I'm sure you've played with people who aren't able to thread that needle Mm -hmm. of being told no, and yet, depersonalizing it to the point where they continue to show up and do the work and say, be able to set their ego aside, right? right, And go, okay, what do I have to do? Uh, Obviously, you know, I'm, I am not good enough that they can ignore me. And it's not anybody else's fault, because what do I have to do? So you come back probably pretty energized from that. And then what next? What happens next? Yeah, uh, we have a world championship in goodness um i think it was in china at the time and my first world championship was the year previous and we had lost in canada and it was just like such a gutting moment they had you know these troopers coming down from the ceiling to celebrate their win um all of us took that extremely personally and we're like we don't want to lose to canada again like that was really that hurt um so that was the next hurdle to to win um and we hadn't won for a few years so um over in china crazy experience. I mean, it's just, people are smoking in the rink. It it was just, it was wild. It's something I've never experienced before, but in our team wasn't looking back, like our team wasn't very good. And, um, I'll never forget. We had a veteran on our team, um, who sort of corralled us young, younger ones. and was like, we need to bring the energy. And she just, she just got so ingrained in our head that, um, we were actually crazy before we got on the ice. Like you could hear us in the halls of this rink. And if I were Canada or whomever we were playing against, I would be terrified because there were so many screws loose that were, you could just hear it. It was like this, this animal kingdom essentially coming down the hall. Um, and I think I learned, you know, through that, that, okay, you know, maybe you don't always have all the talent in the world, but there's ways to win. And, um, that was another, you know, moment that is one of these things that you kind of put in your back pocket. Cause as you move forward, you're like, these are things that. I need to be able to take with me because it was just such a powerful experience. And the whole leading by example piece of it and how one person can be a catalyst that then brings everybody on board. Like one person who's in charge of the hype squad. Yeah. And put it in perspective, like she had turned over the trash can in the ring and she brought in a stick and she started wailing on this trash can. And we're sitting in the room being like, 
what is going on right yeah. now? Because that's, that happens all the time in men's sports, but yeah. probably not as often in women's sports. No, right? no. It's, yeah. and it's interesting because you talk about behavior and how, you know, men get in a room and they take up the room and we sort of shrink back and mm. we're always more reserved and mm -hmm. um, sort of a little bit delicate how we express ourselves in many ways. And that was, that was sort of that pivotal moment that's like, oh no, like, if you want to be a competitor, be a competitor, however that looks like. And she really brought the best out of everybody. So do you find yourself doing that now? If you, if you walk into the locker room and, you know, cause you've got a few more years under your belt when you can <laughs> sense that that energy isn't there, you just like, oh man, uh, no, no. We're yeah. There's different things. Time right? to light and it I, up. Yeah. I think that people respond differently and that's, that's what's so mm -hmm. interesting to me about a team sport, right? Is you could do a whole study on people, um, and know that you could get in someone's face and they would take it extremely well and you can get in someone else's face and it's just going to mm -hmm. minimize them to the smallest thing. And that's what you don't want. Right. So it's mm -hmm. a really delicate balance. And obviously if we're flat and we're just playing like garbage, like there's things to be said. Right. Um, and that's respectable, but to be able to have this chemistry and relationship with your teammates to communicate and to make sure that you both are communicating on the same channel to make sure that you're bringing out the best in one another is something that um, is fascinating. And, and it, it's what makes a team win. It's that, it's that little 1%. Absolutely. So when you, you're transitioning now, you're, you're graduating from college, right? Did you do one, one Olympics while you were in college? Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah. Right? Yep. I took a year right. off sophomore and junior year. Yeah. And then okay. I came back to Wisconsin. I was like, I'm too old for college. Oh yeah. So mature. You kids at the Wrath Skeller yeah, eating your pretzel like rods. Yeah. I'm I so want to go pro. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, there, you know, <laughs> we had, uh, the time, the time that I went to Madison for, you know, the, the whole gym setup and stadium setup was a little bit different. And for whatever reason, the women's rowing team got paired to lift always with the men's hockey team. So okay. uh, I always hung out during the summers lifting with uh, Mark Richter and Curtis yep. Joseph. And I remember Curtis, you know, he was younger than Mark, obviously. And he went, I don't know, he went off to some NHL thing or whatever and came back, I think, for like part of his sophomore year and was like, yeah, man, I'm done. I mean, obviously, he went on and had a pretty... Uh, pretty successful NHL yeah, career. Yeah. But yeah, it was really strange. I mean, you're just, you know, you go from watching guys like them, people like you playing in these stadiums with all these adoring fans. And next thing you know, you know, you're, you're waiting for them to get off the tricep dips rack yeah. or whatever going, Hey buddy, take, take your medal and move over if you're done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were great. They were super yeah. fun to work out with. No doubt. How do you transition from going from collegiate athlete to Olympian to that next step, what does that look like? To be honest, I think just because we've got such a great culture within our room for the national team, it just always felt like the Olympics, so to speak. And granted, we weren't at the actual Olympic tournament, but the expectation was always there. The responsibility was always there. So we, we spent some years to create that culture, but I think that's that was unique about the US team is because you just, you show up and you're, you need to perform. And mm -hmm. all the work that you've done away from the rink shows so that was easy in, in that standpoint i think coming back from the olympics was harder because you just had this amazing experience with a talent pool that's that much higher and then you're coming back to college and i think that's that's what speaks volume about the national team is it's it's that much higher um mm -hmm. especially at the time and 
you know, we were winning national championships at college. So we're the best too. So, um, really being able to have patience and continue to be self-motivated to develop the skills, to continue to grow as a person, but then also fit within your team that by the way, has been working, um, in the NCAA when you weren't even here and not being greater than a team. So I think there's, uh, maybe two or three of us that actually went back to school and, and still got to compete a couple more years together and we won an, another national championship. But um, in the back of my mind, you know, being on the national team with all these other women who are out of college, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I want to go pull, play pro. Like I want to go out to the East and do that. So that was sort of tickling in the back being like, okay, like I want to go pro. Cause I thought professional hockey was this other thing. And that was the next step naturally. Right. Cause the guys do it. So why wouldn't the women do it? Um, and then I'm sure you're going to get there cause pro is very different when, than what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let, before we hop to that real quick, tell me about the, I, I read somewhere, uh, some commentary, and I'm sorry, I don't have it pulled up, but about the experience of what happened at the 2018 Olympics. The U.S. in general, I think, looks at Canada as being, those are our friends from the North, right? I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm like, oh, it's kind of just like like they're us, it's the same yeah. thing. It's like the, oh, it's the UP, right? Yeah. Um, but what people who are maybe not super familiar with, with hockey is that there's a pretty significant rivalry between the US and Canada. And significant, yes. Significant, <laughs> yes. Air, air like quotes, significant blood. rivalry. I know, yeah. <laughs> which is crazy yeah. to me because I'm like, oh, there are friendly neighbors up north, except yeah. for on the ice. Yeah. Um, so take me 2014 to 2018. Okay. Yeah. So 2014, um, you know, one of the better teams that I've been a part of, um, crazy, crazy style for coaching. I think it's the most disciplined team. It was almost like the Belichick years. Um, mm. and we, I've never been on a more disciplined team than that. Um, so you're, you've, I've, at this point, we've all checked every single box that we needed to check mm-hmm. before going. Um, and we're ready to go. Like we're the better team. We're better than Canada. Um, we've had our ups and downs throughout our residency year when we were on tour and here we are the Olympic gold medal final, we're winning two, nothing mm-hmm. better place to be. And then sure enough, this gold is slipping through our fingers and it's two to one and then an empty net post. And then it's two, two. And then you're walking back into the dressing room and you're passing by these women who have the Olympic gold medals that you're supposed to be earning on this platter. And I'm thinking, don't look at those. That's bad luck. You know, that sort of that uh, superstition in me. And you go into the room and it's just a room. You know, I don't remember anything remarkable about it. And I think back now being like, okay, like that's a, that was a pivotal point. And because I don't remember anything remarkable is why, you know, we ended up losing um, in the fashion that we did. So to sit in the penalty box, um, losing an Olympic gold medal after having the lead for, you know, many, many of the minutes on the clock. Um, the fashion we did with the amount of discipline, the dedication, the sacrifice that we all did, we went above and beyond with that team. It was heartbreaking. Um, mm. I think it took a lot of soul searching to come back from at that time. When I came back off that plane, I was like, I'm done. That's it. I gave everything. I have nothing more to give. And, um, I continued to train because that's all I knew how to do at the time. And I went back to Mike Boyle's gym in Boston and, you know, I consider him my, my second dad. And, you know, you just kind of go through the motions, training, staying healthy, rehabbing injuries. And, um, you know, I find myself at a rink when I'm coaching a camp and one of the, um, you know, younger 
girls development camps is going on for the U.S. program. And I see these younger girls, you know, flying around the ice in the U.S. jersey. And I sort of had that aha moment where I'm like, okay, I'm not done yet. Like it, it sort of reinvigorated my passion, my love and, and wanting to represent the U.S. team on the world stage. And um, then it was all about the bounce back for 2018. Uh, and I think I, again, the, one of the things that I read was that after, was it after the game that one of the Canadian players made a comment about, well, we were watching you guys and you kept looking up at the clock. The clock. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That when I read that, that was like a gut punch. Yeah. Um, Cause it was like, we've got this lead. Okay. Time needs to run out. We've got this lead. Time needs to run out. Right. So yeah, I think that's just an, a great indicator of where we were. We were mm -hmm. trying protect a lead versus win a lead so which is so different and again when you get up to the level that you play at when when people are trying to be um the best of the best that upper one percent that upper point zero zero one percent are in a really competitive marketplace if you will playing not to lose terrible don't terrible. do it <laughs> and you don't you think it's you you know what I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, hey, sometimes the biggest risk you can take is not taking a risk at all, which is the same thing. You know, if you listen to, I've got friends that are, uh, you know, highly placed in, in, in our military, in the cyber world, right? There's a huge psychological difference between being offensive and they call it defending forward, which I like. I think that's a super powerful phrase, yeah. defending forward, which is even like offensive plus one, right? Like you're going all in. And when you realize what's happened, that you had this, you know, this amazing group of women who had such amazing synergy, most disciplined team ever, everything going for it. And what was the one thing playing not to lose? I mean, to, to put it in perspective, like one of the, I think that it was their second goal, bounced off of the pants of one of our defensemen and then went in the net. Like just things yeah. that are so yeah. uncharacteristic. That, yeah. And so that yeah. that's what happens though, right? All these yeah. these details yeah. that you've been marching with have just they just fall through because you're focusing yeah. on the wrong things. So yeah. or instead then you just try to hold what you've got there yeah. instead of going forward and jamming another one in to make your make your right. spread bigger. I mean, we, uh, you see it all the time. My kids play lots of sports, you know, rugby, lacrosse, all of that. You, you see it in rowing. You can see it in, you know, somebody gets up a couple of seats and the other boat is stunned. Like, oh, what's happening? You get mm -hmm. that momentum. And I swear, I swear it's like an extra 3% physiological advantage yeah. because it's mindset. It's right. a different mindset. They just found a different gear. Right. Um, so you go, you go on to the 2018 Olympics. So you, you, you're like, I am not done. I'm not done. <laughs> we are what not does losing that look again. Like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not leaving on that yeah. note. So what does that look like? What, what does it look like different from not from a physical preparation difference, but from a mental preparation? Yeah. The biggest takeaway from 2014 was I felt like we were starved mentally. And um, what I mean by that is we were so focused on this small little area that we didn't necessarily appreciate everything, right? We were so pigeonholed and looking through that funnel and you, we needed to flip the funnel and continue to do the things that make us successful on the ice, right? But to make sure that we were enjoying that success as well and appreciating the experience was something that we really wanted to take into to competing in 2018. So instead of, you know, sitting in our rooms and, and pretending like all these other distractions weren't going mm -hmm. on at the Olympics, 
or like now, like the Olympics, it's a big distraction. It's the most amount of media, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's crazy. And no one can ever prepare you for that, but we're going to do our best to take it day by day, enjoy it, not go crazy, but still enjoy the experience. Cause you can't ignore the experience. And I think mm-hmm. it's one of those things where if you, if you try so hard not to focus on it, that's what, what you're end up gonna, going to focus on. So that was the big thing for 2018. And we also had a really galvanized group. Uh, we went through some things that, you know, I can't necessarily speak about, but that really forced us to come even closer together. And were we fitter than Canada in 2018? Absolutely not. However, do we have that driving gear because of what we accomplished together? A hundred percent. And that was mm-hmm. really the, the, the ability for us to get over the hurdle was everything that galvanized us that year. Well, and I think that's, that's important to point out for sure that it takes, you know, it takes time, it takes experience, it takes, I think being able to even, you know, when you find yourself, clearly there are a lot of people probably listening who are thinking, how could you be disappointed with silver medal at the Olympics? Are you kidding? Do you know how many people don't even get that shot where they're like, come on. And yet, you know, because of the group that you were, you were performing with the teammates that you were playing with that you were super talented and there are very few people who who have ever reached the pinnacle of success like you have who haven't found themselves in the ditch either mentally or physically and it's in the rebound it's in the rebuild it's in the commitment to each other it's in the commitment i think even to yourself or or just being able to say hey we just don't have it yet right right not yet and when you when you say not yet the expectation is all right, we're going to high five, slap sticks, slap butts, whatever the case may be. And in that, psychologically, it sets you up for success mm-hmm. because you're going to keep working. You're going to keep showing up. You're going to keep doing the work instead of just tapping out saying, well, that's not fair. Right? Yeah. No, and it's important what you said too is, you know, I think when I step away from competing, right? An Olympic silver medal, yes, give me more, you know? And, and it's such an honor. Um, however, when you know what you're capable of and you fall short, you, you know, as a competitor, you just can't sit with it. And it's not taking right. anything away from the medal color. It's just, you never want to end your season on a loss. And that's just how it is. And I think that's that's what our room speaks about. And that's how our room feels, right? So. Um, and understanding you only get to go through that journey once with that group and then it's mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe eight people come back and do it again. Who knows? And that's that, that's having the maturity of, of having some gratitude, right. And not mm-hmm. in the cheesy, oh, you know, hashtag blast, you know, I'm putting yes. it there because I have to, but like, like a no shit, you know what? We, we are really lucky to be here and we're going to go for it. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's and so it's so cool. much fun to win. I mean, it's just it's yeah. it's great. And people are like, oh, you know, I get the question. You you've done everything. You've done all this, and I'm just like, yeah. So I want to win. I mean, it, it, that's it's plain and simple. I love the sport I do. I wake up and I train to be the best I can be, and I have that responsibility to my teammates. And we want to win. I mean, we hate losing more than we like winning sometimes, you know. So it's just one of those driving forces that. Um, I think I call it like a prey drive almost, right? You got to go hunting <laughs> for the win. So, um, and that's, and that's something as you win more, cause we've won a ton for world championships is, you know, how do you continue to be hungry mm. when you're full? 
And so mm-hmm. that's, that's another mm-hmm. challenge as well, but it's a driving force that gets a lot of us out of bed. So it's a, a combination. It almost sounds like for you personally, every, every day or most days, not only is it a balance of you versus you, because you want to get better, mm-hmm. but then you love the team aspect of it as well. Yeah. Love the team yeah. aspect. I just, yeah. I'm so programmed for a team and, um, it, it holds you accountable. It also makes you feel guilty if you're not doing the right things. You know, if I just go on vacation and I can show up and yeah. still be, you know, fine. Right. But th- it's just not good enough. And I, I, they yeah. deserve better. And I think it's that, um, it's one, the self-accountability that you spoke on. And then two is just, you know, holding each other accountable, being in the team environment. And our team is just so special that maybe that's why I keep signing up for more. Right. I'd be like, please pick sure. me to be a part of this. It's so intoxicating in the best way because I know this team is so rare and so special. You then were dipping your toe into being a professional hockey player, which clearly, I mean, you want the bright lights, right? The stadiums, everything, the big, you know, endorsements, sponsorships, the money's going to come up into your front yard with a dump truck. How did that go? Not, not like that at all. You know, <laughs> when, you, when you're in Wisconsin and you see the football guys and the basketball guys and your hockey guys and you know all this, all these things and agents and sponsorships and you know the bright lights and everything that comes with it is, it's not the same and it was not the same. And um, you know, I packed up my car and I drove out to Boston. I was like, I'm ready. And, you know, sure enough, I'm eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and going to Dunkin' Donuts when they're clearing out the donuts because, you know, I can barely afford to play the sport that I love. And, you know, I, I we call it professional, but I would more, it was semi-pro, right? Um, you're paying to play. Um, and so you're trying to keep up with this facade of women's pro hockey because, yeah, you are equivalent to the guys playing pro, but it the sport, the structure... Um, the resources, they're not there to, to mm-hmm. get you what you need. Which is insane to me. So, so without dipping too much into it, and we can have an offline conversation about yeah. some of this, if anybody wants to know anything in between what we're not going to talk about and what's next, go ahead and Google it. Um, yeah. But you, you have in essence in the last year ish, I kind of get a little twist on my time because COVID like feels like it's stolen yeah. from us. Yeah. You, you stood up like a professional hockey league. Yeah. So we were actually, so this year we were actually in year two, which two years ago, you know, our league folded and the current landscape, it's just not good enough. So we're like, we're not going to just lend our names to this and we're going to go create a better future. Like, let's do that. Yeah, sure. So a handful of us got together and we launched the professional women's hockey player association, which um, then turned into the secret dream gap tour. So we went Mm -hmm. on tour in different traditional hockey markets um, to try and fill like, one, promote visibility of the sport because we never want to take that away because um, women's sports don't have enough of it. But two, mm-hmm. fill the gap and fill the void that all of us at the professional level, we don't have adequate training resources. We don't have adequate competition. We don't have any structure. So the whole function of the PWHPA was a player-led, player-driven initiative to um, organize practices and training um, provide resources where we can. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, have competitions. And year one, we're like, oh my gosh, events planning. We've never done any of this. We sort of figure it out as you go along, building the plane as we're flying. Um, we made it work. 
and we were incredibly successful. So we're like, okay, year two, here we go. Um, COVID hits and from plan A to plan Z, now we're on a different, you know, um, letter. And sure enough, we had an opportunity to build a secret dream gap tour stop in Madison square garden to kick it off, then followed up by the United center. Um, and then we ended up in St. Louis and a few weeks after that, the Canadians, cause they weren't allowed to cross the border. Um, you know, had a successful secret dream gap tour stop up in Calgary. So um, all in all, it turned out to be great, but COVID definitely threw a couple of wrinkles in the mix in terms of competition, but uh, we exceeded our expectations in year two. So the future is really bright. It's it's where we go from here, I think is the bigger question. But So I think it's, I think it's crazy because I'm sure that if you, you know, yourself right now, if you look back six years ago, you wouldn't go, yeah, I can totally see me standing up trying to start like a whole new league in a no. series. Yeah. At, no, just, of course yeah. not. <laughs> well, you know, being young in the national team, you know, all these women are talking about these issues and you're like, oh, by the time I'm graduating, college, oh, I'm going to be ready. And it's not. And then all of a sudden you're looking around the room being like, if not us, then who? So that was, that was, that was the moment. I know. And you know what? It's so it's so unfortunate. I didn't realize I did not understand when I first started rowing at Wisconsin, the history that because it seemed like the whole Title IX issue and women having to fight for those rights. I mean, those ladies seem so old to me. Like those are like generations ahead of me. Right. I'm not going to have that issue. And yet it's not until I got a little bit older that I looked back and I'm like, oh, oh. That was only 10 years, but oh, that was only 10 years before I was there. And now all of a sudden, like, I love that this, I hate to even say it, but this younger generation or that the tools available to, to women now and to players now, like the gals who called out what was happening at March Madness for the women, yeah. I, I was just, oh, I'm, I'm on my phone going, oh, it's yes. still happening. And I'm, Yes, but I, it's but, crazy. Yeah, because people are like, oh no, Title Nine. It was years ago, and it's like, maybe, maybe now in twenty twenty one, but it's still happening. So it's not. Mm. Well, yeah. I think they just came out with, uh, and again, probably we could have an hour long conversation yeah. on this piece of it alone. Last week, I think they just dis discovered or uncovered that um, that the NCAA spent two hundred and forty million dollars more on men's sports than women's in the last year or so and that didn't involve i think that didn't involve football which that's the part that then gets a little shocking i i could be wrong on that so if somebody googles that there was there was a there was an asterisk in there that kind of made me catch my breath so as you're as you're trying to build this machine to not only keep not only because you want to keep continue playing professional hockey but you know that if there's not a venue for women who are not playing collegiate hockey mm -hmm. or maybe not in the national team cycle that you're going to lose a ton of talent were you oh, yeah. able to because of your personal brand and maybe connections that you didn't even realize you had or people who've been watching you were you able to tap into nhl resources for mentors yeah. or Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, a handful of wonderful relationships with certain NHL clubs. And, you know, that's why we continue to return to those cities and Chicago mm -hmm. Blackhawks being one, a big one. And, um, you know, the St. Louis Blues organizations and um, the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, there, there's a handful, right? It can sort of go on and on. And it's great because, you know, the appetite's there and um, having a professional league in, a, in the adequate landscape for it 
will do so many things, right? Like it provides us a place to play. It's going to, you know, deepen the level of competition over the long term. Mm-hmm. You know, visibility is going to increase. There's going to be more, more uh, revenue generated, more marketing opportunities, right? There's, there's so many amazing things that come out of it. Oh, and by the way, from the grassroots level, we're going to get more girls involved in sport and yeah. have yeah. an opportunity to compete. Because if you're not on the national team, by the end of your you know, NCAA career or shortly after, most likely you're going to go out and do something else. And to be in the sport as long as I have been, to pair my experience of the fandom at Wisconsin, um, I know the appetite's there. I know people are ready. We just need to build it. And to provide a livable wage to women who want to sign up and have this as their career path. I mean, why not? It's fascinating. It's been fascinating just in the last six months or so to watch uh, some of the guys on the NBA or NBA teams, that mm-hmm. allyship supporting the WNBA. Yeah. If, if there could be that same energy uh, coming out of the NHL guys, uh, it there, would be fantastic. Yeah, there is. And, and that's, yeah. it says a lot of it because it's, um, you know, a lot of it's like we want to support and sometimes people just don't know how, right? Because Oh, for sure. Yeah. We've developed this cult following and our fans have the ability to find some doorbell camera on some crazy website to watch us play, right? When it should just be consistent schedules, you know where to find Mm -hmm. hockey Mm -hmm. and that's where I'm going to turn to. But instead they're going all around the internet to try and figure it out. And we're fortunate and thankful for that. But man, shouldn't we make it easier on them? And similarly, guys, they're like, how do we watch you? And a lot of the times we can't answer them because we don't even know, right? We're like, is there going to be a feed of our game? Are you going to be able to stream us versus Canada? So thankfully those things are changing as well. And you'll see the guys rocking the blue PWHPA hoodies this year. And everyone wants it. it. We don't have enough. Love it. That's a great problem. <laughs> but yeah. 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 When you're running out on merch. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's still like, people are like messaging me and they're like, Hey, your shop. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, it's a good so now, to have. <laughs> so now you're this leader off the ice as well, almost a, a entrepreneurial thing, if you will, yeah. uh, because you're essentially building this business, you know, building the airplane, flying down the runway or hanging yeah. on to the, the, the water dumper on the back end of the Zamboni yeah. on a really fast turn in the corner. Yeah. Um, but so how are you, how are you, Hillary, how are you finding right now balancing all of that admin, if you will, yeah. and- it's crazy. That is important, right? It is important because it's the vision of the sport for the future while you're like, shit, like I'm not skating enough or I'm not, I need to run some stadiums or blah. Like, how do you balance that? Well, thankfully, um, you know, it's, it's a shared thing. And as we've gotten, um, you know, out of our first, first year or first launch, we have more volunteers that we'd like to turn into paying positions because that's what those people deserve. Um, and we have a we have a handful of, of groups and people helping out a great advisory committee. But um, it's interesting you asked that question because I don't know if you know Paul Rabel. He started the PLL and mm-hmm. he was an amazing lacrosse player. Um, but he's breaking the mold for professional lacrosse. And I asked him, it's like Paul, like you know, this is a couple of years ago. It's like I'm I don't know how to do it because can you still do what you're doing and be good? Like, have you experienced that your level of play has gone down, you know, doing it. And it was just this interesting discussion about balance, right? Because you can't do it all. And I learned Mm -hmm. that in college and granted, I was only focusing on going to the bars, but you learn that, you know, the social life has to come back if you want to do all these other things. So it's definitely a delicate balance. Um, You know, have I, when I'm going to these tour 
Dream Gap Tour stops, am I the best player? No. But do I know that I can still show up and be good? Yes. And I'm going to try and do everything I can. But then it, it becomes, you know, choosing what's important. Um, and ultimately, my uh, driving line is, you know, the, the U.S. team, right? And making mm-hmm. sure that my training is periodized the right way. So when I show mm-hmm. up for them, you know, it's lights out and that's what we're doing. Um, yeah. So hopefully that, you know, that can change. And all the players, you know, however many of us, just under 200, um, don't have to shoulder the burdens of event planning and admin. And we can have all these shared services that already exist um, on the guy's side. Well, I think that, you know, it's been astounding to me. Again, I've followed it a, a little more at a distance. Like I said, I've got a niece, I, again, not to, not to flex on you, but you know, you <laughs> have this really magnificent peewee. You, you did catch that I was on the C team, right? That I made yeah, yeah, the C team. Great not the A team that year. You want to talk about being devastated? I was devastated. The C team, y'all, I was not, I was not C team material that year. I was, I was super solid, but it's, it's remarkable to me that I think the timing, uh, and this again, it's just me from, from the outside looking in is so fortuitous that this all did happen at a point for you where you do have a few more years under your belt. You do have probably the technical experience to as long as you have a plan in place for what those training blocks are going to be that you know you have to be you're mature enough now now to know you you're not going to have that freshman gap year missteps right like you've done that like you're going to have to to be able to be really intentional about what it is you focus on Mm -hmm. and that the other stuff you're you're either going to have to delegate ask for help which is not intuitive to a lot of high performers because you're like, I've got it. It'll be faster. It'll be easier if I just do it myself, even though you don't necessarily know what you're doing. But the asking for help piece on all of this combined with your ability to to energize and inspire people and girls, I mean, it's going to be a matter of getting the message out there and and again, continuing to ask for the help that you need, right? Tell people you need to help, put it on social, put it on Instagram, but there are people who want you all to be so successful. They just don't know where to go. Right. And and I know it's more than just opening a checkbook because that doesn't get the event planning done. That doesn't get the merch ordered and shipped. Somebody has got to be putting the hot labels on. You know? Yeah, no. And I think part of it too is understanding what your ask is. Right. And figuring that out. And the first year we're like, I don't know. We just, we just need ice. We need, we need people to get Mm -hmm. tickets this and whatnot. So I think we've had, um, you know, more clarity and more, I don't want to call them think tanks, but essentially, you know, think shops to, to have this sort of design thought, um, to really understand, you know, what do we actually need? Because we we're told what we need, but what do we actually need? And, um, it's been, it's been great trying to figure that out as well, but you're right. It's, it's all planning and it's all strategy. And thankfully I'm at an age where I know exactly what my body needs in terms of training and Mm -hmm. where I can put my energy into and you know i don't always have enough energy when i'd like to but you know you can you can only do your best with so many things so have you have you reached out to dunkin donuts do they know that that is literally what you lived on while you were dirt poor <laughs> I don't broke, know trying to make it in boston okay yeah. you so they, you know what? Well, i'm gonna are- reach out to a friend of mine who is tightly like tied to dunkin donuts because they should know your story 
Yeah. No, it, and they were involved with our um, our year one with the P-Dubs. So that was great to have yeah. them on board with that journey. But yeah, I don't know if they know that I was like waiting for the, the coffee rolls. Can I take the, I know it's 10 o'clock at night and I don't care if they're dry and crunchy. I'm super hungry. Yeah. Here's here's my 57 cents. Yeah, I'm rolling up in Quincy Mass just being like, hey, and the guy knows me. He's like, yeah, if you want these coffee rolls, like take them. And, you know, I'm like looking at the camera like, can I take them? So, oh, my God. He's saying I can take them. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like you just you got to do what you got to do to be able to get things done in whatever that looks like. Yeah. And, you don't always know, but you kind of, you have your construct of what you think and where you want to go and you just have to figure it out and how you're going to get there. And that's I love just that. Smart, right? Like that. Well, it is, but it's, it's having that ability to take action. Mm -hmm. And even when you're scared, even when you don't know, you know, you know what the vision is yeah. and you're just going to figure it out and trust yeah. that you'll figure it out and you will. Yeah. Everyone yeah. wants to see you guys succeed. So I'm, God, I'm so fired up. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And obviously COVID has been, been wild, right? I mean, yeah. to be, you know, to try and train and, you know, always be fearful of, you know, getting COVID or infecting, you know, one of your loved ones or not wanting to travel and competing and things like that. Like we've learned a lot and it's, it's given us the ability to reflect and be like, Hey, like, what can we, what can we do differently? So always trying to see sort of the silver lining and things to, to march mm -hmm. forward. So. Well, and I think part of the gift of that as well, when, when you've navigated that is that hopefully it'll, uh, it brings with it a little more empathy. And then by default, that allows you to be more patient mm -hmm. while you're still grinding forward. Right. Yeah. Which then hard. just, oh, it doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> oh, that's probably the hardest thing. Right. Cause you're like, okay, oh. this is where we go like, let's get there. And it's like, no, 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 like it takes a lot of time to get some of these things done. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. But you guys are on your way. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you've been, you've been such a trooper and I, I, you've shared so much time with us and I know you've got a lot of things going on, juggling a lot of chainsaws. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes some energy to do world domination and also continue training. So your next step is going to be the Olympics. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Knock on wood. That's yeah. Right. That's the next. So that's, yeah. We next year. So it's right, weird because awesome. the summer games are right here. So you think you still have, you I know, know but, I know it's psychologically, yeah. it's like jacked everything up for sure. Even my kids age, I always get messed up. I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. We had that last year. We got to get you guys to a game whenever, you know, things kind of open back up and, and we have like legitimate competitions, um, you know, not, not necessarily at the Olympics, but you know, from there until. Yeah, so. no, for sure. And and we yeah. should get you paired up with the wild too, up here. The, yeah. the Minnesota wild have crazy fan base. The Minnesota yeah. wild fan base is similar to the Packers, Green Bay Packers football fan base. Okay. They're always, yeah, they're always showing up like crazy. Are, so are you, are you based in Minnesota right now? Yeah. I'm in Minneapolis. That's where we're training this year. What? We're up the, in Blaine. Oh, for <laughs> So like, I could probably like whip a softball over Lake Minnetonka yes. and I'm like, oh, no wonder your audio sounds so good. Yeah. yeah Cause you're next door to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just knock oh up. my yeah, gosh. No, so I'm sure we'll have games in the area. So you, you got to get the family out and everything, you know? Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Oh, 100% we will. We won't even throw like an octopus on the, on the ice or anything. Cause we're yeah, pretty we're not chill. Destroyed. We're not destroyed. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll keep it we'll keep it classy yeah. um well do you do you have just a second for me to throw a couple of rapid fire just fun yeah. questions at you Absolutely. okay cool yeah okay so what is your go-to music when you work out i like anywhere from electronic alternative to rap anything and honestly <sighs> sometimes country you know it's just it depends on the mood depends on the lift is it heavy <laughs> Is it because because then what then no it's then not country not, if it's heavy then it's then it's probably a little bit rap and it's probably going to yeah. have the e on the end of it and yeah. some coaches might not like that so if you're in a youth program make sure you just make your playlist without the e so you don't get in trouble and yeah, everything's yeah. fine right yeah. that's that's my that's my pro tip takeaway we've gotten in trouble before because our locker room door was open in the hall and our music was not you know yeah for everyone so, so. yeah so we um we lived in memphis for about 11 years um i know way too many lyrics from way too many hardcore rap songs even to this day that i probably shouldn't necessarily yep. know um yeah the writing yes. is a little bit different now yeah. <laughs> um just different that's yep. all um, <laughs> you just gotta listen to the hook don't don't you don't have to really think about it just go with yeah. it and we're gonna yeah. leave it at that parents you proceed with caution yeah. That's, on, that's on you. So who do you think of as a mentor and what did you need to learn from them? Well, I, you know, I think my mom was sort of that in-house role mm. and she sort of, she taught me discipline. Granted, I should have had it my freshman year of college, but that's okay. Um, but no, I think, you know, Angela Ruggiero would probably be the next top of mind because um, I got to watch sort of what she did on a day in and day out basis with the U.S. team and be like a sponge. And, you know, a lot of the times I would just want to hang out at the table she was sitting at just to hear, you know, how she thought mm -hmm. about things and what her vision was, mm -hmm. and, you know, what she's doing. Um, and obviously the icon in our sport, Cameron Granado, and just wanting to be Cameron Granado and to try and be that good. And um, so it's, um, yeah, I, you need these people to, it, it's so funny because people see, you know, the gold medal around your neck and they don't realize that there's like an army of people behind you in order to get you there. For sure. You know, and I think one thing even that you just said, and I'm I'm going to put something in into this because you didn't actually say this piece of it. But when you said you just wanted to be at the table where she was sitting to listen, I think it's so profound that when you there again, this is going to a bit on, on what you see on social media when you hear people say, oh, I've done it myself and I'm so excited, you know, blah, 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 blah. No. There, there's nothing <laughs> truer, good, bad or otherwise from a performance perspective a values perspective, the old adage of you will become like the five people you hang around with yep. for good or for bad. Yeah. And nobody does it alone. The people who nobody. are out there saying that they're self-made, I have zero time for that BS. That right. is nonsense. You're a narcissist. Get, right. out, get out of my feed. I know. Unfollow. I know. Somebody has to give you a dollar somewhere to get $20, you know? I mean, it's just maybe somebody told you something to make you get the 20. It just, it's like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it takes so many people um, to help you be successful. And you're right. It's, it's having a sounding board. It's having a support structure. It's having people that, you know, you can lean on or who kick you forward, whatever it may be. Yeah. And, and I mean, credit to you, you know, having the ability again, to set your ego aside, to, to be able to say I'm devastated and I wasn't good enough. How do mm -hmm. I, how do I keep going? Because yeah. somebody out there has the answer to tell you, this is how you can do it. But 
but you have to be the one to do it. You have to be the one to take the action. Um, So what do you think is, so to this part of my rapid fire question, otherwise I'm going to get right back into all the things. What do you think is the biggest misperception of you? I mean, an easy one from you would say, I think a lot of people think I'm just like an extrovert naturally. I think that's kind of what you see as like an entertainer and like me, right? But a lot mm-hmm. of the time I just like to be quiet and I'm shy and I like to just kind of do my own thing. And if I walk into a room, I'm not going to take the room over, right? And just mm-hmm. be the loudest person in the room. And um, you know, maybe that's because when people see you, you're on TV and you're speaking. Maybe that's what it is. Right. But right. Um, no, I think I'm a very, you know, reserved person. And um, you know, I do find find weight and you know, only adding value and being vocal not about everything, right? So about the things that matter. So yeah, kind of just keep to myself. I like being in Idaho in the mountains with my dogs and that's kind of it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. So who plays you in a movie? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. I'm going to go with Kate Middleton. I've heard people refer to you as the hockey playing Kate Middleton. Yeah. Yeah. That would she, be, that would be seem a little, <laughs> she, she might have to she might have to eat an extra donut though. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause I, you know, I'm all about body positivity and, you know, owning kind of, you know, what you're born with and, you know, obviously living a healthy and active lifestyle, but mm-hmm. I don't think, no, I'm anywhere from like 172 pounds, to 185 pounds. Like good luck playing that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So can we talk about that just for like half a second? Yeah. Because because again, just from a time period, you, you are the face of women's hockey right now, mm-hmm. whether you want to be or not. You're you're one of the main, most recognizable uh, players, faces, brand ambassadors. How do you think we, because you can't be the one doing this left all on your own, how do you think that we can better help younger girls right now get past what they're seeing? when dang near everything on Instagram has got a snatched waist, a filtered butt, a whatever, like longer femurs, all of that. How do you, like, what what do you tell the parents or or the girls even that you've been coaching at camps? Because I'm sure you see them Mm -hmm. struggling, you know, they're either in it and what they're gonna eat, what they wanna do. They're trying to maintain a weight that they think is acceptable off the ice when, when you know that if they were 10 pounds heavier, they'd be, They'd be like a, a dump truck, not yeah. not overweight, but they would be immovable in the crease, wherever the case may be. That's something I don't necessarily have the answer to because I feel like we should already be doing it, right? But Ugh, what I like yeah. to focus on is yeah. sort of not necessarily forcing, but uh, promoting real interactions, right? And um, mm. and we make it a, a talking point whenever you know I'm at one of these camps or or whatnot to say like that's not real life, you know. And as technology gets better and these, are they called deep fakes? You know, the Tom Cruise yeah, stuff. Oh, it's right? terrible. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really hard to sift through yeah. what's real and what isn't real. And it's sort of this um, perception of success, right? And so mm-hmm. it's really having, forcing these, you know, interactions that are real and making sure that you place value. And, you know, not only are you verbally placing value and, you know, telling the kids and the younger generation that these, these things are important, but you're also demonstrating it. So, you know, it's trying to be off your phone when you're in front of them, like little things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's even like, Hey, do you see this picture I posted? Like, this isn't, this isn't real, right. Or this is an ad or, you know, so it's, um, it's really being able to have that honest, um, conversations with them, but, taking the time to have the conversations, yeah. right? 
It's not always about selling. It's really, it's the give and take of establishing connections with people. And, you know, as we move forward and technology gets better, I know that's going to be even harder, but you know, something we see at the younger teenage years is, you know, girls dropping out of sport. It's like, why are they doing that? I know at at a higher rate now than it was 20 years ago. Is it social pressure? Are the opportunities yeah. at you know at the professional level limited, and that's why people are deterring you know their their daughters from you know mm-hmm. pursuing their path. You know, so these are things that you have to take into consideration. And you know, as a, an athlete, I just want to share the love of the game with as many people mm-hmm. as I can, and to promote a safe environment for these girls to play in. You know, and what, what what that looks like, and what that looks like in the future. Yeah, and it's so it's it is fascinating. It's also devastating to see those statistics starting to turn. And I know it was something, again, I've got four kids that just made me so frustrated. Uh, my oldest is 24 now, and they they must have been right after that big wave of people single sporting their kids, mm-hmm. which even if you don't believe in doing that, if your daughter really wants to play volleyball or she really wants to play hockey, because now there's, you know, 100% travel teams, A, it takes the kids out who can't afford it, which is tragic. It makes them play that sport all year round if they even want a shot at making the high school team, right? And, you know, I've tried to, I've tried to little bit dabble, even with my kids, my second daughter was a volleyball player and we were down South and boy, if you didn't play competitive volleyball, of course, then we move up to Minneapolis and it's the same thing, wicked competitive up here. You're not going to make the high school team, which then means she can't play lacrosse because volleyball goes until June 25th. Right. And the school practices started June 10th. So now you have a year long sport instead of where back in my day right you know you got to play volleyball in the fall then you'd play basketball or do nordic and then you played softball or track or whatever your spring sport would be or hockey in the winter so you're developing body dexterity confidence you're growing you're figuring out what you like what you don't like you're having to play with different teammates Mm -hmm. different coaches all of that stuff so my fear is as well as we're losing more girls now than we ever have before in that sports channel. Those are also a lot of the women that end up being confident that will go into male dominated environments, whether that's the military or IT or coding or cybersecurity or whatever that non-traditional female roles. So what is that impact going to be that that girls are self-selecting out of sport? What's that impact gonna mean for all of us from an innovation perspective, moving forward. Right. And you need, I mean, that's the thing is you need more women in the room, right? And you want to make sure that, yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of these skill sets that we bring to the table aren't necessarily teachable in a classroom. A lot of those are from extracurricular, you know, events and sports and you you name it. So I think those learned experiences are equally important as the books, you know, so. For sure. Yeah, it's and and you're right. Not just sport, right? It's yeah. arts. It's 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 all those all extracurriculars. It. It's all of it, not yeah. just sports. But we've been able to measure more specifically the dropout in sport. Yeah, so. and that's what you know. I'm I'm placing more attention to is just because I see it, right? And um, yeah, you know, it's one of these things. It's like I I know what ice hockey specifically has given me, and I know you know what maybe a piano lesson will give me as well, right? Cause I've done both of those things. And um, 
to see someone not be able to either have the opportunity or to not see it as a viable career path or not feel comfortable doing it um, mm-hmm. is such a, a devastating way for me to, to see the sport that I've loved so much at that mm-hmm. age. So um, trying to promote that as we go forward, but yeah. uh, it's injury too, right? Like if you, mental health, yeah. if you sign up someone and they're doing the same thing forever, you know, it's going to get tiring. And mm-hmm. by the way, if you sign, if specifically talking about sport, if um, your daughter plays hockey and she signs up for soccer and lacrosse or you name whatever sport, maybe even tennis, it doesn't matter. There are skills in those sports that will translate to the ice. Um, mm-hmm. So we can't, mm-hmm. you know, pigeonhole people mm-hmm. um, because it, it's exponentially trending towards increased injury. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is for sure. Yeah. And it's just developing that confidence to try, right. And Mm -hmm. trusting yourself again, that, that when you fail, because it's not a question of if you fail, when you fail, whether it's at 14, at 18, at 24 or 34 or 44, it's a skill set to be able to get back up. I mean, it's a life gift really. Yeah. Oh gosh, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour and that's just, <laughs> yeah. you, you got, you got things to do. You got training to do. Okay. Last question for you real quick. We have a hundred dollars, a full tank of gas, and you have the day off. Where are we going? If I'm home in Idaho, I'm just going to leave my car. I'm going to go in the mountains. I think now maybe it's because I have to be on my phone. I have to be connected to mail yeah. all the time or social yeah. media that I love to go to regions where I have no cell service. It is mm-hmm. like one of the most refreshing things. So maybe it's, you know, ending or using half the tank to get out in the mountains a little bit further. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, I just love it. I love being home and I love the simplicity of having a smaller town. Um, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I love the city. I love being in the Twin Cities as well. But to have the balance of the two is so important yeah. to me. Yeah, for sure. I, I get that. So yeah. if people want to get in touch with you or follow you on your journey, where's yeah. the best place for them to do that, to support you, to follow you, to find you? Yeah. So Hillary Knight and Hillary's with one L and you can find me on Instagram. I think I'm pretty much on all social platforms. I just got onto TikTok. That's oh. been a, a steep curve. <laughs> so are, are you dancing? <laughs> No, not yet. I'm sure it's gonna go. So, so the kids tell me you don't have to dance on TikTok. Not ever. Yeah. They're like, "Mom, you need to be on TikTok, but you don't have to dance." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah well, mm, see, like, I don't know." Sound. Yeah, I'm like, I don't yeah. know. That ship may have sailed. I'm not sure if my yeah. target demographic is uh, there. But yeah. okay, so TikTok, TikTok, Insta, and Instagram primarily. Yeah, those are the big ones. Um, yeah, okay. and then. You know, I'm sure I'll have more content coming out. It's just I haven't had enough time to produce, you know, the level of or the quality of content that I've wanted to recently. But a lot of puppy pictures coming. I just got a new puppy. So awesome. Yeah. That'll awesome. be a good driving course, right? Just come yeah, for the yeah. pictures. You don't have to stay. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that'll get people in a heartbeat. They're like, ooh, yeah. new dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you have been a trooper. Thanks so much for carving out time. And uh, you know what, again, I'm, I can't say enough. I'm so proud of you. It's been amazing the last, I guess, really the last 10 years watching your journey and now seeing where you are right now. It's an honor for me to talk to you, fellow Badger. Like, oh, gosh. you know, I love going to different cities and Badgers are just there. You're walking through the airport and, you know, sometimes I'm that crazy person that's like on Wisconsin or go Badgers. And I know. Like, <laughs> You're like, oh, I don't want to be a pain, but. Yeah. You see you around, I'm like, you're dumb. Yeah. yeah. I saw someone wearing a shirt. I texted my brother. He's like, 
Remy, like I saw someone and said, you dub Rowan. Like, do you know them? <laughs> oh, yeah, because of course you will, right? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah no, actually, I don't know yeah. everybody. Yeah. So, I'm a crazy fan. But thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, more great things to come. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what you're going to do. It's going to be yeah. amazing. You're doing a great job. So, thanks. Thank thanks you. for carving out the time today. Mm -hmm. Again, I know it's been an inspiration to uh, those who are listening and Hopefully, uh, hopefully people even have their kids listen to this because I think you dropped some some pretty important knowledge bombs on there and yeah. what it looks like, what that path looks like. So I appreciate Absolutely. you. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you enjoy the show, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you enjoyed the conversation today, I'd love if you left us a review so that more fearless leaders just like you can discover us. It takes less than 60 seconds and it really makes a difference. And also, I love reading the reviews. And while you're at it, I'd love to hear from you personally on my social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, maybe Clubhouse. And of course, you can always find me at carrylorenz.com. Finally, my new book, Span of Control, is out in the world and it's available on Amazon, Audible, Target, Barnes & Noble, and of course, always your favorite indie bookstore. Thank you for joining me in my office.